Hello, everyone. My name is OJ Tucker, host of the OJ Tucker podcast, the only comedy tennis podcast that talks about our political and societal culture as a whole. My name is OJ Tucker, as name would suggest. How was everyone's weekend? Hopefully, you guys enjoyed your weekend, spending time with your family, your friends, watching the third and fourth round of the Australian Open. Uh, there's a little bit of news that we can get into for today. In terms of news outside of the tennis world, we can obviously discuss Steven Crowder's $50 million contract dispute with Ben Shapiro's company, The, the Daily Wire. Obviously, Ben Shapiro is not, is not the CEO of The Daily Wire, but he is an investor and probably does have a stake in the company. So Ben Shapiro's company, The Daily Wire. My overall thoughts on the beef between them, why I think it's a little bit too out there for me to like really pick a side. And honestly, if you're crying over $50 million being thrown at you, I don't know if I can really legitimately side with you. I mean, obviously, it's important to side with labor and to side with individuals that are being screwed over by companies. But to me, when I see this contract, I'm like, it seems like quite a luxury. Uh, obviously, Steven Crowder was complaining about certain stipulations within the contract. There are certain uh, rules and regulations that he had to apply and that he must abide by when it comes to the contract that the, the, that the Daily Wire gave to Steven Crowder. But overall, $50 million, $50 million. I, I don't really, I can't really sympathize with you or empathize or relate to you in any way, shape or form when you're crying over $50 million. So we'll get into that. Obviously, that'll be our last topic before our weekly pick. Uh, we can also discuss Louis C.K.'s recent podcast interview with Joe Rogan. Obviously, Louis C.K. is one of the greatest comedians of our generation, if, he's, if not the greatest comedian of our generation. And the fact that he sat down with Rogan yet again in the span of five, six months, last time he appeared on Rogan was with Joe Liz back in August. So the fact that he appeared on the Joe Rogan podcast again solo was amazing. And I really want to get into that uh, because, again, he's just one of the best generation, uh, one of the best comics within our generation. And uh, this man should get all the flowers he should get. Uh, so I'll definitely be talking about Louis C.K.'s podcast with Joe Rogan. Uh, he brought up saunas and and, cult and uh, uh, all of that and how he's sort of and he was sort of critical of saunas uh, to Joe Rogan in front of Joe Rogan. So I, I want to talk about that as well. Uh, in terms of news within the tennis world, we can discuss Novak Djokovic beating Alex de Menard in six, uh, straight sets 6-2, 6-1, And overall, it was not that interesting a match. It lasted for over two hours, a little over two hours. But again, it, it's nice to know Novak Djokovic is back in stride, back in action. And we'll obviously conclude with my weekly pick. So each and every week, I recommend a book, a piece of art, a film, sometimes a special that I really enjoy. This one will be a little bit out of left field, uh, but still an entertaining listen regardless. It's an album, as you probably can't tell. But we'll start for today. will obviously be tennis news. So if you guys haven't watched, it's been four or five days since I last talked to you guys. And a lot has, has happened in the Australian Open. Um, Andy Murray lost to uh, Bautista Agut on Saturday. Um, FAA lost to Laheka on Saturday as well. And Yannick Sinner lost to Stefano Sitspas. Um all different in different sets. I think Murray lost to RBA in four sets. FAA um, probably in that same range. And center obviously, to center, uh, to Sitsipas. Uh, so there's been some bracket busters, I would say. There's been some bracket busters. Been, there's been some change in, in certain... In, in the outlook and the scheduling for the Australian Open. Uh, I'm not really surprised by certain losses. Obviously, FAA lost to Laheka, which is not that great. When you think of FAA, you think of like top eight, lock... You know, you think of an individual that can reach the quarterfinals of a given major. Uh, so the fact that he lost to Laheka in a third-round match, uh, not ideal, uh, but it is what it is. Uh, so obviously he did lose to Laheka in that match. 
uh, center, obviously n- not ideal as well, especially when you add to the fact that, you know, he's played one of the better, better matches in the, in the U S open this past year alone or last year, I should say. Uh, so, and you know, obviously what we want to see Sinner progress in a lot of ways. So the fact that he lost it's it's, it's bus, not that great. Uh, apparently the, the, the players that end up beating Sinner in the draws in, in the matches leading up to a major final often win that final four cent major uh, that happened to alcaraz last uh us uh, us open lost to uh, happened at wimbledon as well uh with djokovic so whoever wins against sinner often w- wins the major i don't know if sitspas will be up to the task to win this major it, i mean it would be a nice story to see a person within that generation within the within the zverev uh medvedev um sits post generation win again but just keep that in mind as we roll on to the quarterfinal matches of the Australian Open uh, so yeah there's been a lot of uh, interesting things that have been happening with the Australian Open uh, but I think the most interesting story in the past day or so has obviously been Andre Rublev beating Holger Runa in five sets uh, he beat Holger Runa in five sets 6-3-3-6-6-3-4-6-7-6-11-9 was the final fifth set tiebreaker. Uh, overall, this was just an impressive match for a lot of different reasons. Uh, I think one of the main reasons as to why this match was just so so great was because you really saw the, the highest quality of tennis by both these individuals executed in a very professional level. You know, when you think about... Holger Runa. You know, Holger Runa was just, I mean, he was just lights out in a lot of ways. And his return game was something else. Uh, his return game throughout this entire match, but in specifically, for, uh, in specifically in that first set where he had this, he just whipped out this amazing return serve against Rublev. And again, I'm, I'm going to be very sort of non-linear when I discuss this match because you know, that's just how I do, do it. You know, obviously, if you want a more linear way of approaching this match, you know, catch me when I talk about the finals for this major. Uh, so this is going to be very sort of, you know, stream of consciousness, you know, very sort of incoherent. My apologies, but I feel like that's the best way I can really talk about this match. Uh, because a lot of di- different things did, did happen in this match. And both these players, I thought, really gave some of the best moments in this match. I really do think so. So when you look at that, those return serves by Holger Runa, they were just impeccable. I mean, if you really think about it, Holger Runa was just lights out with, when it came to return serves. He had this amazing backhand return serve in that first set that was just out of nowhere, just out of the blue. He was just able to whip it out, and it really did set the tone for the the, the duration of this match, especially when you think about Andrew Love, a person that you know really prides himself on having these huge, bombastic forehands from the baseline and how he's able to really orchestrate and develop shots that that can lead to points being won. You know, and I think when you think about Rublev in this match, I mean, again, Rublev had a, a crazy match as well. I mean, he had 23, 22 aces to that of, say, Holgerun's eight. Obviously, holding was very, very much important for Rublev. And the difference between these two individuals was that Rublev was just able to get more breaks in at critical moments as opposed to, say, Rune. And Rublev was able to hold at times where Rune was not not able to hold. And I think that sort of set the tone for this match, is that you really saw the pattern happening. And then in that fifth set, it sort of all went out loose, and you just saw both these individuals just playing some of the best tennis of their careers thus far in a lot of ways. 
to me, when you see that fifth set, that fifth set was a culmination all of all the years they put into the sport. And the fact that Rulo was able to just squeeze that out uh, was just impressive to see. It really was. Um, you know, there was a tweener at 540, won all, I forget the set, uh, where, uh, where uh, by Rune, where Rublo was just immediately able to fire a forehand cross-court clean winner. And to me, that was sort of the the one the one shot that really gave you a good glimpse as to both these individuals in a lot of ways. You know, where Rune comes off a little bit more sporadic at times, where Rune does come across as, you know, as in the moments, you know, obviously having great shots, but having shots that are in the moment that, you know, may not be really there in a lot of ways. Obviously, he's a younger, bit younger than Rublev. Um, so obviously that comes with age. But I think to me, when I watch this match, you know, you're seeing two young stars really vying for their spot to play against Djokovic in that quarterfinal. And in a lot of ways, Rublev proved to be the better man. Uh, not only in that fifth set, but there were just times throughout this match where he was just a little bit more mentally composed, where it seemed as if he had a mission and he was able to deliver on that mission uh, several times throughout this entire match. Um, again, when you see that first and second set in, in particular, uh, first and third set, I should say, um, excuse me, sorry. Uh, when you see that first and third set, you see an individual that was just primed to just go for it. Now, he did slip up in that fourth set. You know, I do think that that fourth set was winnable for Rublev. I, I don't understand how he sort of let that set slip away. But again, when you and when you realize the fact that Holger Runa has been playing impeccable tennis for the past uh, few months or so, it really does matter a lot. And I think that sort of showed itself in that fourth set. Uh, one thing that I do want to sort of critique on for Rune's play is that there was a lot of double faults uh, for Holger Rune. A lot of double faults in this match for Holger Rune. In fact, he had 12 double faults, uh, which is not that great. Uh, again, he has a really good serve. You know, I think his serve is very aggressive in a lot of ways. Um, if he's able to tame that down, I think it might be better for him uh, because right now it, it just doesn't... It, it It's... It's not where it needs to be. I think a lot of times when we think about serves uh, within tennis, you know, it's either like serve bot style or it's just very sort of get the ball in play. And, um, you know, Holger Rune somewhere on the, I wouldn't say he's a serve bot because again, he only had eight aces in this entire match. Uh, but it definitely does feel as if he needs to compose his serves. And that's something that I would I would really address. Uh, again, the first serve win percentage or first serve percentage, 65% for Andrew Rublev, 58% for Rublev, uh, for Rune, I should say. Um, again, it's one of those things where it, you got to keep that in mind. If you're the coach of Holger Runa, you got to make sure you keep that in mind. Otherwise, it, it could complicate things in, in the future. But overall, this was just a nice, solid match. I mean, this was one of the better matches in the Australian Open. And um, yeah, I'm just excited to see what's to come for Rublev and Rune. Uh, I think... The one thing that I want to point out, and I know this is not really tennis-related, but when I was watching this match, Rublev's national national sign, his Russia flag, the Russia banner, usually when you see a tennis player's name on like the info sheet or on the, on the clicker down below, uh, it's usually their name with the country that they're, that they're from. 
And for Rune, obviously, he's from Denmark, I assume. He's from Denmark. Hopefully, he's from Denmark. Uh, I don't want to get that wrong, but... Uh, you obviously Rune had his own flag, uh, but with Rublev because he's from Russia and because of the ongoing Ukraine-Russia war, his flag was not there. And to me, I don't enjoy that. I think there's nothing wrong with a person celebrating their country. Obviously, it's important to go up to a country for their misdeeds and for what they've done, but to actively try to silence or not show a, a person's nationality or a person's country or what they where they reside from or where they're proud to be from just because of an ongoing war or conflict i just don't see that to be true I, I just don't see that to be necessary you know i think it's fine to have a russian flag next to andrew Rublev's name you know it, it's nothing wrong with that obviously you can pick a side on ukraine russia you would be wrong if you picked either side because they're both complicit and horrible war crimes and whatnot uh and ukraine should you should not be on the side of ukraine for the amount of dollars that they've stolen from america but to me like when i see andrey ulev not able to have his russian flag it's like what are you trying to do here what kind of message are you sending across because it comes across as very alien in a lot of ways so again i just had to pick that up i really i just had to uh, mention that and address the elephant in the room because again it's been prevalent throughout this australian open but it was really bugging me in this match um let andrew live have his russian flag you can be against the russian government you can be against the ukraine russia conflict but to actively try and whitewash his nationality and try and whitewash where he came from i i don't like it you know i, I really don't like it uh so yeah overall i you know rublev was just the better man in this match and it was very evident in that fit set um obviously whoever would win that fit set would, on, would go on to win that match obviously that is the point in in, in that entire match whoever wins that fit set would win that, that match but again rublev was just the better man uh, in that fit set and when you saw that incredible rally between the two uh during that fit set tie break um where Rune was able to uh, deliver a two-hand backhand clean winner. Again, it, it just goes to show you that Rune, while I, I was a little bit critical of him in this match, uh, for obviously obvious reasons, the holding and, and not able to break on key points and key parts of this match, uh, it really goes to show you that Rune has the capabilities to go far in a major. As long as he develops and as long as he gets older and learns with the age and is able to compose his serves, I think he has what it takes to go all the way through. Uh, as, and when you see that final point where Rublev had a two-hand backhand on a return serve that just skidded the net and reached on the other side of the net, it really goes to show you that Rublev uh, definitely did have luck on that point. Uh, I wouldn't lie, he definitely did have luck on that point. But it really goes to show you that Rublev um, has that awareness to think within the confines of a point and, and to really go for it. Uh, and yeah, I just thought it was very nice to see that that moment where it just gets the net and he just falls to the ground and, and starts to 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 bat to bathe in his bathe in his success. I, I thought that was a very very touching moment of that. Of that. So overall, that's those are my thoughts on that match. Uh, definitely one of the better matches I, I've watched thus far in this major. Uh, so yeah, that's my those are my thoughts. All right, let's get into the Novak Djokovic Alex Demonar match. So obviously Novak Djokovic won against Alex Demonar six two six one six two. This match lasted for a little over two hours. Uh, it was not that notable. I mean, understand that there's a precipitous drop off between Rublev and Rune to that say Djokovic and Demonar, and that's not Djokovic's fault. I'm just saying that the match was just wasn't competitive uh, in the slightest. Um, 
But overall, this is just this was just a nice, clean match by Djokovic. Uh, I mean, there's nothing really much you can say. Again, the match lasted for a little over two hours. Uh, it would be nice to see a match that that lasts a little bit over two hours for the final. Uh, I'm bracing myself for it. Uh, that's not to say that I don't want the match to be competitive. You know, understand that I just want the match to end in a, in a very sort of neatly woven, tightly bowed way. Uh, I, I want the match to end in, in a way that's suitable for all parties involved. I think the the recent matches where we see it go four hours long, five hours long, and we see uh, individuals in Australia not stay up until 2 a.m., 3 a.m., who can blame them, uh, watching these matches, I, I again, it is a cause of concern, and that's something that the officials of the Australian Open should address because this is one of the few majors where that actually is a concern, where that actually is... Uh, a critique and a very understandable critique, if I may add it myself. Uh, they must address it. Uh, but the fact that this match lasted over a little over two hours speaks volumes. It, it really does. And I'm very, very happy. Um, there was a great backhand down the line winner by Djokovic to make it 40 15 1 all. And right by then, you understood that there's a difference in regards to the style of play by both these individuals and how they would prepare for this match. Uh, because Djokovic, that that backhand on the line uh, really showed volumes of how he's able to maneuver on all sides of the court, but more specifically how he's able to really confine himself to the baseline and just be comfortable at the baseline and not waver and not tether from the baseline. You know, again, Djokovic has does an impeccable job, and this is something that we've known from for, throughout his career, but he really does a really good job at incorporating pace in his ground strokes making sure that he's able to add enough slice and spin, making sure that his ground strokes are low enough where his opponent may not be comfortable with the overall awareness that Djokovic may bring on court. You know, when you think about Djokovic, you think of, a, of an individual that is able to really con- control and contain his ground strokes and make it so that his opponent, in a lot of ways, doesn't expect Djokovic to whip out a winner anytime soon and then when he does you're like oh wow he was able to really play chess uh, while the, his opponent was playing checkers you know to me that's sort of how i view Djokovic, not only in this match but just throughout his career is that he's able to dissect his opponents in a very calculative strategic way and you saw that in this match you know you saw novak Djokovic rely on deminar having unforced errors you saw novak Djokovic fo- force deminar to hit shots that were just not within his range of, of being able to shoot. You know, you saw Alex Deminar hit certain backhands and forehands and ground strokes and, and certain certain points near the net where you're like, that's what you really went with against one of the better players of, of, of all time, one of the best players of all time, if not the best player of all time. That's that's the shot you went for. You really thought that that drop shot would, would simply get Djokovic to be unfocused or to get Djokovic off his game. You really thought that that flag ground stroke down the line for the fourth time in a row was going to be the catalyst for you winning that point. I mean, again, there were certain, you know, shot selections that uh, Alex Dimnar made throughout this match where he's just sort of scratch your head at where like, how, how did he think, how in the world did he think that this point would, would elicit a winner? You know, it's just one of those times where you're like, I, I'm so discombobulated right now. I'm so like out of it. Or you watch and you're like, you really think that this is how you're going to win? It's like, 
you know, not to relate to football, but when you see like the Steelers incorporate zone coverage against Brady, it's like you, you haven't seen Brady rip through this defense in the past 20 or so years when he's playing, uh, not to relate it to football, but again, it's one of those things where you look at it and you're like, why did he think on, on, on this earth that that would be a good idea to do like at all? Uh, again, I, I want to give Deminar's credit, you know, obviously, uh, you won five games and three sets. That's not anything to, to, to scoff at, you know, again, it's a fourth round match. I would assume better, you know, especially when you're playing against one of the best players to ever do it. I would expect you to win a set here and there, but again, five games is five games. You can't deny it. You can't deny, uh, the overall, the overall success of that, you know? So uh, I do want to admit that, you know, it's not, I, I don't want to crap on, uh, Joe, uh, Deminar too much, you know, because again, five games is five games against the best one of the best players to ever do it. Uh, I'm just saying that for a fourth round match, I expected more. Uh, I really did. Again, when you really think about this match, uh, Deminar just didn't have that much success on the whole game at all. I mean, it, it was pretty bad. I'm not gonna lie, the whole game could have been better. Uh, he had three aces in total. Uh, the win percentage, first serve percentage, that is. First serve percentage was 61% to that of uh, Djokovic is 65. Uh, one percentage on, on second serve, precipitous uh, difference between the two. Uh, one percentage on second serve, 47% for Dimonar, 76% for Djokovic. So it really goes to show you that the way that they were able to orchestrate points on that second serve when it came, comes to holding serve was extremely different. And while Dimonar didn't have that many double faults, uh, it definitely did feel as if there was a difference in mentality with how he's able to come across his first serves with that of, say, second serves. And again, if you want to be the best, you got to make sure that you have your second serves in rhythm and sync. Otherwise, it's going to be very, very difficult to, to get past that in a lot of ways. So again, I, I thought that Deminar could have played a better match. Uh, again, he reached the fourth round, so I assume that Deminar could have been better in a lot of ways. But again, if anything, this just goes to show you the, the, the difference in playing field between Djokovic and Deminar and from the field that is. You know, I think Djokovic, he should be the favorite to win the Australian Open. I mean, he is odds on the favorite to win the Australian Open. And this match proves to show you why, because he, would, he was able to do this in the fourth round match of a major. He was able to win in straight sets in a fourth round match at a major, you know, just think about how crazy that is, you know? So again, just great, great match, uh, for, for Djokovic. Just, I mean, what else can you say? I mean, he's going, he ha has the best shot of winning this major and matches like these prove why, you know, I mean, again, this is different. This shows you the difference between the outlook of these two individuals and how they're able to prepare for these, for these shots and how they're able to pre uh, prepare for these long rallies. You know, when you see Djokovic hit these flat ground strokes, you know, and then switch it up by adding pace to it and adding more spin to it and, and being able to slice and incorporate the drop shot or, you know, getting his opponent near to the net, you know, switching things up a bit, you know, and while all all of this just being done right at the baseline, you know, it's it, it's a marvel to watch. I don't think we will ever, will ever see another player like this ever again. You know, again, when you think about Djokovic, you know, it's very easy to, to not be a fan of Djokovic. You know, he doesn't have the elegance of a Federer backhand. He doesn't have the top spin of a, of a Rafa Nadal banana shot. You know, he doesn't have the lobs of an Andy Murray. Uh, but again, it's all about, to me, when, when, you think, when you think of Djokovic, you think of 
And when you think of Djokovic playing the sport of tennis, you think of, oh, this is how chess is like, but in a physical way. Like, that's what Djokovic is when he plays tennis in a lot of ways. It is chess. It is, is it, it is a chess-like maneuver in a lot of ways. Uh, so, yeah, overall, uh, I'm just pumped to see the, this final week of the Australian Open. This is when the best are able to play. And, um, yeah, overall, I would say that this has been a good major this far. Um, obviously, I'll give my overall thoughts next week on how I feel the major, uh, feel about the major. But overall, I, I would say it's good, uh, not great in the slightest, uh, but it is good. Uh, I, I will say that it, it's been a good major thus far. So, overall, those are my thoughts on on the on the Djokovic match with Alex Deminar. All right, let's get into uh, news outside the tennis world, shall we? So, Louis C.K. recently appeared on the Joe Rogan podcast. And overall, it was amazing, as usual, because, again, Louis C.K. is one of the best comedians within his generation, within his cohort, and this podcast really goes to show you why. Uh, so let's give it, get into why he appeared on Joe Rogan. So Louis C.K. appeared on the Joe Rogan podcast on Saturday, and he talked about his upcoming special that will be live-streamed on his, on his website, louisck.com, called Louis C.K., Back of the Garden, it's going to be live-streamed. I think the actual special will be released sometime in April. Uh, so I might buy it uh, on the day of. You know, I can always wait for the next three or four months afterwards uh, because it might be refined. It might The mixing might be better. The sound quality might be a little bit sharper. Uh, so I might wait till April. But again, Lisa K is like one of my favorite comedians right now. And of all time, I would say Norm Macdonald and Louis are like 1A, 1B in terms of my favorite comedians of all time. So uh, I'll probably I'll probably buy it uh, the day of and, and watch it. But again, it's great to see Louis come back. You know, it really is. I mean, when you think about Louis C.K., I mean, this is a guy who two, three years ago, I mean, he was, was doing you know, comedy clubs. You know, again, again I'm, I'm not crapping on comedy clubs. I'm just saying from this the the heights of where he was at you know from hosting snl to doing the garden to having specials being released every year which set a precedent where now comedians are releasing specials every two years which that's a separate discussion for a separate time you know i don't really enjoy that trend of comedians spending every two years releasing a special i think it's very very important that you spend some time sifting through your material you know releasing a special that is hilarious from the first minute on till the last minute you know i don't like this trend of specials being released every two years because it it feels as if there's an expiration date as to when you can release a special and i don't like that i think greatness takes time i think great jokes take time and you know to have a special being released every two years i think it lessens the quality of your jokes and the ability to carefully craft craft your jokes so i'm not a big fan of the trend of releasing your special every two years or, or, or a year or so. Uh, but he popularized that concept, and obviously with Louis, the way that he was able to do it uh, was obviously funny because, again, when you look at some of those specials, whether it's Oh My God or whether it's uh, the Comedy Sports Store special um, 2017, you know, these are some great specials of his, you know. So, again, he's different. He's on a different playing field, but for, like, every other comedian, I would advise you not to release a special every year or so or two years uh but louis ck went on the joe rogan podcast and again it was just great i mean he talked about the cold plunge for sauna debate how people are out of touch when they discuss about their overall journey with saunas which 
I love because clearly that that was uh, he was not reading the room. Uh, and the fact that he was just able to say that out openly to Joe Rogan of all people on his platform, only Louis C.K. could do that. I mean, you, if anybody did, else did that, uh, I, I would assume that uh, Rogan would not take that lightly uh, or too kindly. Uh, so the fact that he was able to make fun of that was just hilarious. Um, I talked about their experiences uh, living in Newton, uh, and as a kid who grew up in Massachusetts, I thought I was thoroughly entertained by that. Uh, they were referencing like deep Newton like knowledge, and um, as a kid that didn't grow up in Newton, I, I mean, I didn't grow up with well well means by any by any stretch. I didn't grow up in Newton at all. Uh, but when you hear that, you know, as you're like, oh man, I know these references. I, I know what they're talking about. You know, I know what they, well, I know what they mean by South Boston. You know, uh, so overall, I, I really really enjoyed that. Uh, at one point, Rogan was hyping up the Austin comedy scene. You know, he was hyping up all these other comedians that were a part of the scene. You know, bringing up Kill Tony, how all these individuals were able to uh, have careers because of their success on Kill Tony, and Louis C.K. just was not having it whatsoever. Uh, he really wanted Rogan to just shut up. It was just, I, again, when you have these two individuals that have succeeded in their own endeavors. Just sitting down for a podcast, obviously, it's going to be very interesting. Uh, but I, I thought Louis C.K. was just amazing in this podcast. And again, part of the reason was because he was just, he's able, the reason as to why I, why Louis C.K., why I really love Louis C.K. and why I think Louis, Louis C.K. is so great to begin with is because he's very introspective in a lot of ways. You know, he's really able to bring that introspective out there or bring that introspection out there in his podcast, but still be make it entertaining and funny, which is very rare. You know, it's very easy to be caught up in your feelings and to be very emotional, uh, especially when you're talking to other individuals, but to do it in a very entertaining way, in a way where it doesn't seem so ham-fisted, in a way that doesn't seem so self-indulgent, I think that really speaks volumes to just the overall character of Louis C.K., not just in, in terms of carefully crafting jokes, but also in, in the way of making an entertaining conversation even that much more enjoyable to listen to. So I think that's one of the reasons why, as to why I really enjoyed this conversation. I think it lasted a little less than three hours, which I know I was like critiquing like long tennis matches, uh, but it doesn't really feel like three hours. I feel like the way that we process content is very interesting because if you watch like a five-hour sporting event, that seems like a long-ass time, and it is. Uh, but when you listen to a podcast for three hours, or when you watch a move, like a watch or binge watch a series for three and a half hours, you don't think it's a time waster. You don't think it's a time suck. In a lot of ways, you just view it as say like, oh, it, it's. Uh, it is what it is, you know, I'll watch three hours of it, you know, so it, the way that we process information and content in today's world is very interesting. Um, but again, it doesn't feel like three hours at all. You know, it, it definitely feels as if it could have been an hour and a half and you, I would have, I would have been like, oh, it's an hour and a half. Uh, but yeah, that's the main reason as to why I really enjoy Louis on, on this podcast is that he was able to be introspective, but still make it entertaining and engaging and have quality conversations. And I think that's what separates Louis as a podcast guest from any other comedian that is. Because yeah, it's very easy to be like insider baseball. baseball. It's very easy to talk about the ins and outs of comedy. And I don't, really, I don't really blame comedians talking insider baseball with other comedians because that's the only thing they have in common. You know, as a comedian myself, the only thing that I have in common with other comedians, the, the one thing that I do have in common with other comedians is that we do comedy. So obviously we'll, we'll talk about comedy on the podcast. Uh, 
just like if you have like two software engineers and that's the only thing they have in common they're going to be talking about programming they'll they'll be talking about coding they'll be talking about you know the differences in their language the syntax of their languages um again it's just what it is it it, it is what it is when it comes to that so i don't really hate on that like i i know a lot of people don't like the inside baseball discussions on comedy uh which i don't begrudge them for it i don't hate it, hate them for it uh but i i don't think it it's I think it's understandable in a lot of ways. I really do. Uh, because again, these are two individuals within the same profession. They're going to be talking about comedy. You know, I remember hearing the podcast with Louis, with Rogan, and Louis was talking about the Comedy Cellar. Uh, if you guys don't know the Comedy Cellar, it's like a comedy institution within the New York City comedy scene. You know, to for the way that Muslims view Mecca, that's how comedians view the cellar. You know, like, if you get past of the cellar and any of the comedy clubs in New York City, like, that's your meal ticket to making this like an actual career. Like if you get past the clubs in, in New York City, like that's your career. Like that could be like, that, that could be the difference between you dumpster diving and you like actually having enough money to put food on the table. Like I don't think people realize just how much power that these comedy clubs have in, in New York City, which is why it's very, very important to have a podcast and create a Patreon and, and do things your own way. But um, Louis brought up the cellar and how it's becoming the hip club and where it used to be a club that was barely passing by that was barely breaking even and obviously when we think about the cellar we think about the back table we think about you know burr keith robinson patrice o'neill colin quinn rich voss you know you think of the, of the table you think of the conversations of the table you think about how it spawned uh you know tough crowd with colin quinn and all these other shows that really sort of opie and anthony in a lot of ways uh where it encouraged conversations and, and friendly banter funny banter and louis ck was talking about the seller and how it has changed where it, it used to be this very sort of counter-cultural club where you, you could hear dark jokes and grimy jokes where now it's become a norm where it's become a comedy institution in a lot of ways and it's become like the thing to go to where the cool people go to. And because of that, it's a little bit difficult to have your jokes out there and, and to be a little bit more sincere and honest with the jokes that you want to put across uh, because of just how formal it's become. And I really enjoyed uh, just how he was able to break it down and how he's able to really show that. So so again, people like, like to crap on the inside baseball of comedy, but there's some hidden gems when you talk about the inside baseball of comedy. You know, there really are some gems to that. So... For me, like when I was listening to the podcast, I just really enjoyed it. You know, it was just a nice, entertaining watch. I was thinking about putting this for my weekly pick, but I'm like, why not spend 12 minutes, 14 minutes talking about it, you know? Um, because again, he's the, one of the best comedians of our generation. I mean, Sorry is, I mean, obviously a lot of people like Sincerely, uh, and I do enjoy Sincerely a lot, but Sorry is where it's at. I mean, Sorry to me, is one of his best specials he's ever released. To me, it's up there with Oh My God. To me, it's up there with Chewed Up and Hilarious. It, it is one of the best specials he's ever released. And the way he's able to open that special up with that sex joke was just amazing. Um, I'm not going to say the joke because it's best if you hear from the horse's mouth. Um, no pun intended. Um, it's best if you hear it from Louis C.K.'s mouth. But it, again, Sorry is a great special. Go watch it. I think he filmed it at the Hulu, Hulu Theater at, at the Garden. So the fact that he's going up and going back to the garden, it really goes to show you that the allegations are no longer a hindrance to him, you know, and that's good. I mean, because as we all know, like he asked for consent, like he asked like, hey, can I, pardon my French, but can I jizz in front of you? 
And they said yes. And because of that, it was fine. It was kosher. So again, I don't, I don't get the, the, I'm happy that the allegations have died down. You know, I'll say that I'm happy that the allegations have died down and it's good to see him back and, and performing. I, I was meaning to go and watch him last August in Lowell. Um, he was doing some some show in Lowell, Massachusetts, and I'm like, I, I really want to go, but I, I just couldn't find the time. Um, I, yeah, I just couldn't find the time to, to do so. Uh, I really want, I really wanted to watch him, by the way. And I think he did a show in Boston a few few weeks ago at the Wilbur or at the Box Center. I'm not so sure, but and I really wanted to watch that as well. Uh, but I think I had a comedy show to go to uh, to perform on. Uh, so I'm like, okay, might as well, might as well do that instead of the Louis C.K. thing. On, on second thought, I should have just gone to the Louis C.K. show. Uh, the comedy show was not that great to begin with. Uh, but anyways, it is what it is. It is what it is. I'll, I'm sure you'll come back on tour in the next year or so. Uh, so yeah, the overall, I, I was just very happy to see uh, Louis on Rogan. Uh, again, he's one of the best comedians to ever do it. You know, I, I think when you hear Louis, like, his of course but maybe joke. Go on YouTube and watch that joke. In fact, go watch his 2013 special, Oh My God, because it was filmed in like a roundabout stage, like a Dane Cook rough around the edges, you know, George Carlin live in Oklahoma kind of kind of uh, way. Go watch that. Or live at the Rose Bowl. I don't know what Carlin special he filmed where it was like a circular stage. I'm not the biggest Carlin fan. I, I'm not a big fan of Carlin. Uh, but when you hear Louis it, in that special, I mean, it's... It's a great special. I mean, obviously, he's a great comedian. So um, I really enjoyed this sit-down, uh, this three-hour sit-down. I really enjoyed it. Obviously, him bringing up cold plunges versus sauna debate and how people that talk about it are, are out of touch and how he said that in front of Rogan was hilarious, to say the least. Uh, so, yeah, overall, those are my thoughts on that podcast. Go watch it. Go see it. Again, you're watching a master at work here. You really are. You know, I think the main reason as to why I fell in love with with Louis in terms of stand-up uh, is because of the fact that he was able to be introspective, but still deliver punchlines and zingers and still make it entertaining and engaging. And that's what you see from this podcast. You know, he's able to make things just naturally funny. You know, he's not trying to force things into a conversation. He's just trying to be as natural as they come. And if funny things happen, then funny things happen. But overall, he's just going for being true to who he is and i think that's just great you know i think that's great uh when you if you want to hear a good laugh go 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 listen to louis on opening anthony where he's talking about like a film i think the piano teacher won not and patrice o'neill's like cracking jokes here and there and, and trying to be like off the cuff funny and whatnot and louis was like can i be serious here <laughs> and that and that was just hilarious. Uh, Louis on Open Anthony is always a good listen. So go go check that out. Go check that that specific video out in in, in general or specifically I should say. Uh, yeah. Overall, that was just it was a great podcast. All right. So let's get into our last bit of discussion here. Uh, this is news within the world outside of tennis. So we'll get into it. So Stephen Crowder recently released a video. Documenting his documenting his overall beef with Ben Shapiro's company, The Daily Wire. Apparently, he was offered a fifty million dollar contract uh, by The Daily Wire, and he was unhappy with the fifty million dollar contract because of certain stipulations within the contract, because of certain clauses within the contract, and because of that, he decided to cause up a ruckus and cause up a storm within the conservative media sphere. Um, yeah, so overall, that's what essentially happened, uh, is that Crowder was given a $50 million contract, and he denied it and basically released a video 
documenting why he denied it because of certain stipulations within the contract, because of certain clauses within the contract. Apparently, um, the Daily Wire, Ben Shapiro's company, Jeremy Warren's company, but Ben Shapiro also has a stake in it, where the Daily Wire really wanted Steven Crowder to abide by certain rules, to go across, to come across or get along with the YouTube uh, algorithm. And if he wasn't able to do so, then they could dock his pay, they could... Um, take certain benefits away from his contract. And overall, I'll be honest with you, this just seems very out of touch. I think this is one of the few times where I've ever heard Steven Crowder ever speak up on labor rights and contract disputes, which should tell you everything you need to know about his politics. Uh, I, I just find it weird that this is the, the one time where he draws a line in the sand and publicly goes after a multi-billion dollar corporation being funded by billionaires uh, to, to speak up on. I think it's very hilarious that this is the only time he's ever spoken up on like worker rights <laughs> is because of the fact that he was offered a $50 million contract that he scoffed at. Uh, it, it, honestly, it's, it, it's, it's kind of sad if you really think about it, the, the conservative movement right now. Okay. Okay. It's kind of sad if you really think about it. Uh, I'm not a Republican. I'm not. I'm certainly not a Democrat. You know, I'm quite apolitical. I, I don't really have a party involved. I don't support either party. But if you're a working class voter and you see Steven Crowder's overall beef with the Daily Wire and with Ben Shapiro, and if you're a working class, how can you look at this situation and be like, oh, yeah, I fit in. I belong in this group of people. I understand exactly what these two individuals what these two parties are currently going through. Like, how can you relate to that? You know, like, I, I just, it just seems so, so out there. Like, it just seems so elitist. Like, this video where Steven Crowder documents his overall beef with the Daily Wire and the Daily Wire, you know, having a byline contract discussion about what was in the contract where Jeremy Boring has to sit down in this opaque room with, with worse lighting than this. Then worse lighting than this video, where he goes by line by line in the contract for over 50 minutes. It's like, how in the world did the conservative movement get here? Like, how, how in the world did conservative Inc. get to this point where they're going after contract negotiations? Like, think about it. Like, at one point, like, the conservative movement, at one point or another, had some form of goal, right? If you think about, you know, the 80s, right? The, the conservative movement had a goal. They had a vision of being like, you know what, we'll talk about, you know, the Christian conservative movement. We'll, you know, do the Southern strategy. We'll try to make sure people understand the beauties of, of neoliberalism with a meshing of Christian conservatism. You know, you see the 2000s, you see more of that, but also with a more neocon streak to it. Then you see the 2010s, you see a more libertarian approach by having the Tea Party movement, you know, and now and then you have the Trump movement that came in 2016 and, you know, the idea of free trade and the, the negative qualities of free trade happened and uh, as well as isolationism and, you know, all these sort of ideas came out. And now we fast forward to 2023 and we're talking about contract negotiations and contract disputes between two conservative personalities on YouTube nonetheless. What are we doing here? What are we doing here? I don't know. It just, it just seems like such a non-story. You know, it just seems like, like such a non-story in a lot of ways. And the reason as to why, like, I'm so pissed about this, is about this topic is because, like, literally no one can relate to this. 
right? Like no one can relate to this. Obviously, Steven Crowder is mad that he wasn't offered the Rogan deal. He wasn't offered $100 million. But again, it's like, it's still $50 million. You're still set for life. And apparently, and here's like part of the contract that that, that was in the contract. Here's part of the, the, the word it's in the contract. So this is from Will Sumner uh, uh, on Twitter. So at Will Sumner. So in his video, this is from Steven Crowder's video, uh, and this is from his tweet. In his video, Steven Crowder insists that this is a slave contract. There's no need to be enslaved like this. Then the Daily Wire, in their video, revealed this, this slave contract was for $50 million over four years. Four years, $50 million contract, so he's making $12.5 million in four years. He's living in Nashville, by the way. This is not a tweet, but he's working in Nashville or living in Florida. I think the company's based in Florida. I think, the, actually, the company's in Nashville. So he's having a tax break. He's, he's saving money on taxes. So twelve point five over four, four years. So that's one thing. Four weeks off a year, so a full month off, and... Crowder never has to work on Fridays. So he works a four-day work week, making $12.5 million a year, and four weeks off. Why are you crying over this contract? This is, take the deal. Take the deal. You're going to be off YouTube if, if you continue this channel, because obviously YouTube uh, does not like his channel. Um, but again, he is bankrolled by the, the Blaze, which is a, which is a corporation. So... Uh, I think a little bit of it is manufactured. I do think that the that the censorship is a lot manufactured, you know, because if you look at Steven Crowder's videos, it's just him dressing up in drag and trying to make comedic videos and, and just falling on his place while doing it. it that's basically what it is. Um, and I, I hate to put that in, in, in that kind of light, but it is what it is. Uh, so again, I, I just don't, I can't relate to it. And if you're a working class voter, a Republican who looks at both these individuals and you're fans of them how can you relate to the overall struggles that both these corporations are going through like how like if you're an individual that's just barely getting by that's putting food on the table for your family and barely making it by by paying off your mortgage or paying off your rent you know and and you know you're you're working a job that you hate and you're 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 in, in a in a position where you don't really see any sort of light at the end of the tunnel like how can you look at the video at these videos that you routinely watch and that you are a fan of and say to yourself oh i i understand exactly what steven crowder is going through uh i, I just feel, find it weird i just really find it weird uh you know i just think it's just so ignorant you know it's just so dilute like think about it think about where america is right now all right, we just went through the pandemic. Apparently, like there was like forty percent unemployment rate, fifty percent unemployment rate. Honestly, the numbers are different from that. But at one point, it was projected, estimated that fifty percent of people were unemployed. At one point, maybe that's I'm being a little bit hyperbolic with the numbers. Maybe I'm, I'm being generous with the numbers, but a fair share of people were unemployed during this pandemic. Uh, a lot of individuals struggled to get by. And when you see this, you're like, really, this is what it's come down to. This is what the conservative movement has come down to: is crying over fifty million dollars. Really? I mean, this to me, like, this has a lot of parallels to the Caller Daddy situation where you saw you know, the Caller Daddy girls just crying to Portnoy about, you know, the contract and what they were offered. And it, it to me, it just screams as if as if they're entitled. You know, this screams entitlement in a lot of ways. Uh, again, you don't have to accept the contract. Again, you do, you do your thing, right? Like, I'm not going to say accept the money, all right? I'm not saying that. But to make a video and publicly put it out there of why you're mad that they offered you $50 million, that to me, that's where I draw the line, right? If you want to deny $50 million, 
you know, do your thing. You know, it is what it is. Uh, but to publicly make a video about it and, and to, to go after that company is just so tone deaf. It's just so idiotic on so many levels. And you come across as very as very out of touch with your base and with your audience. Because the average fan of Steven Crowder, I'll, I'm telling you, is not... The average fan of Steven Crowder is what? In their 40s or 50s? You know, on their way to being like, uh, you know, usually living in middle America, you know, usually living in Tulsa, Oklahoma, you know, in their 40s and 50s, you know, who, you know, are fed up with the mainstream media and then listen to Steven Crowder, who's, you know, works with the blaze. You know, again, like that's, that's the average fan of steven crowder is that individual and do you think that they can relate to what he's currently going through no and if anything it just comes off across as smug and, and 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 just so arrogant in a lot of ways it just comes across as just so dumb uh so overall those are my thoughts on the steven crowder situation i just think it's it's just it makes no sense whatsoever to make a video about it. Like, if if you deny a contract, make it make it so that make it so that's the case. But to to make a video and then have all these Daily Wire you know shows make their videos on the contract negotiations, to have Candace Owens make a video, then have Ben Shapiro make a video, and then have all these you know have all these other small minuscule shows on on the Daily Wire bring it up. I'm like, what's happening here? Like, this is what it's devolved to. This is what the conservative movement has now been talking about contracts like talking about contracts that's what it's been to now like that's how low it is right now to be a conservative and again i'm not a republican i'm certainly not a democrat i'm just viewing this from a dip, from like a third party perspective I'm, I'm looking at this at a neutral perspective um i i just think like how can you look at this and relate to it whatsoever so yeah overall those are my thoughts on uh on that story just i, I don't really get it whatsoever and i think yeah, the fact that this is just a story to begin with makes no sense whatsoever. Um, yeah, so those are my talks for today. Uh, let's get into my weekly, weekly pick, shall we? So each and every week I re recommend a book, a piece of art, a film that I really enjoy, that I think you guys will enjoy as well. This week I'll be recommending an album, and it is a 2011 album, uh, and this is a Hindi uh, Hindi album, uh, that really good, uh, called Rockstar by A.R. Rahman. Uh, this is a really good album. I really enjoyed uh, listening to this album. Obviously, with Hindi with uh, Hindi music, it's often accompanied by a film. Uh, usually, music and film go hand in hand in, in the Hindi film industry. Uh, the film itself, I'm not going to lie, I'm not that big of a fan of. Obviously, I, I really enjoy the director of that film, Imtiaz Ali. I really enjoy his work, like Damasha and, and uh, Jab We Met. I think he's a really good director. And I really enjoy Rambir Kapoor as well. I think Rambir Kapoor is one of the better actors of his generation. Uh, I, I just thought the execution could have been a bit, bit better. Uh, but the overall album itself is really good. So the album, the soundtrack, the the album, the soundtrack for the movie, the album itself, was composed by Air Rahman. If you guys don't know him, you should. He's, he's very, very talented with vocals mostly composed by that of Mohit Chohan. And it's, again, it's just a great twist of soft rock music mixed with some Indian folk music as well. And it's just such a entertaining listen. I mean, obviously the standout song, the single for the song, for, for the album is Sada Huck, Sada Huck. And it's one of the few rock inspired tracks out there. Um, and and it's a very interesting listen. Sorry, it's it's a chair. Hopefully you heard that right. It's the chair. 
All right, it's the chair, not me. It's the chair. Uh, but it's just such a standout song because it's very rare that you hear like a Hindi song that really incorporates guitar uh, within that song and, and, and does so in a very sort of soft, rocky way. Uh, so Sada Huck is obviously the standout song. Other songs that are really good are Joby Mei, uh, Tum Ho. Obviously, Tum Ho is a very, very uh, good song. And Nada and Parinde. Uh, those are some of my other favorite songs that I really enjoy uh, within within this album. Uh and obviously, Kun Fai Kun is like obviously the official anthem, the unofficial anthem for uh, South Asian Muslims everywhere. I mean, Kun Fai Kun is just such a very spiritual song in and of itself. Uh, so yeah, that's that's my weekly pick for today. Uh, it's uh, Aaron Aman's Rockstar. It's a very good album. Uh, one of the better, I would say, it's one of the better albums uh, of the 2010s within Hindi cinema, uh, and that's because of just the overall quality and song structure that Aaron as well as Mohit Chauhan were able to bring. Uh, so overall, that's my weekly pick for you guys today. Uh, next week, I'll probably recommend Brett Easton Ellis' The Shard, so don't be surprised by that. I recently got a the hardcover copy uh, sent to me. Uh, I ordered it from BNN, so excited to read that book. Uh, obviously, I'm a big fan of Brett Easton Ellis. Really enjoyed his first book, Less Than Zero, so hopefully The Shards are great. The shard, hopefully the shards is good. Uh, I've heard nothing but good things about it. It clocks in at over 600 pages, so hopefully I'm able to finish it by the end of next week. Uh, I'm trying to read more books uh, for the for this year. I think my overall goal is 30, so we'll see how it goes. Uh, currently, I'm swamped with comedy and with uh, with the podcast, so it's a little bit difficult for me to read. So I'll try my best to do so. Uh, but other than that, that's my weekly pick for you guys. Rahman's Rockstar. Go listen to it. Um, even if you're not that well versed in Hindi cinema, or, or Hindi films, or Hindi Hindi music in general, um, I think that this is a good starter place to to really enjoy. Because I know it was for me. So, Rockstar by Eraman. Anyways, guys, thanks so much for watching. I think that'll be it for the podcast. Thanks so much for watching. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure you guys like, subscribe, and click the bell icon for notifications down below. Make sure you follow me on my Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Ajay Tucker, A-J-A-Y-T-H-A-K-K-A-R underscore the end make sure you follow me on my podcast channel my podcast clip channel my stand-up channel uh, make sure you rate and review on apple Podcasts and spotify i think that'd be great if you guys would do so and last but not least make sure you spread it through your whatsapp change and through your groups text i think it'd be very very important just to spread this through word of mouth to get more and more people involved more and more people invest in this podcast i think it'd be great to see that you know having more honest conversations about things that are happening within our political and societal realm, but also things within tennis, I think will be a great thing. Uh, I don't know what the forecast will be for this podcast for this week in particular, because I know the quarterfinals are coming up, the semifinals are coming up. And for me, living in the States, you know, it's a little bit difficult for me to be up at 1 a.m., 2 a.m., you know, critiquing these matches and covering these matches. Obviously, I still do that, you know, but to me, like, to put in the extra mile and uh, to, like put a 15 minute, 20 minute video up there on my podcast channel and get, you know, 20 views on it. Like I did with that Carl's all cross US open final recap. Uh, it, I don't know if that's a good idea for me, especially when you add to the fact that I am a comedian and I am have a few shows coming up this week, uh, which again, I've learned my lesson. I'm not going to promote my shows on this podcast. If you want to see my shows, check out my Insta stories, check out, you know, what I'm tagged in or whatnot. I'll promote it on my Insta stories and see, and we'll go from there. Uh, but I'm not going to put promote on my podcast. I just think it's a waste of time and, and you, uh, end of your time. You know, I don't want to promote something for five minutes and, uh, and, and do stand up for five minutes on stage and then just say hi to you. It just it just seems 
it feels like I'm wasting your time. Like I really, it does feel like that in a lot of ways. If I'm headlining or if I'm like opening up for another comedian, then obviously I'll promote that because I'll have a lot. I, I do have respect for that. And I do have respect for the comedian that allowed me to open for them. But to promote like a random show, no, I, I, I think I'll pass for that. Uh, Cause I, I just value your time and I value your energy and I don't want you to, to, to see me work out my new stuff on a show and think to, to yourself, Oh, that you must suck. It's like, no, um, obviously if you see my po- my standup channel, you know that I do have some of my jokes on my standup channel and that's in the description box below. So I think that's it for you guys today. Uh, and that's it for my spiel. Uh, I'll have a regularly scheduled podcast on Thursday that I'll talk about. I don't know how I'll do it with the top tennis topics, but we'll see how it goes. So guys, thank you so much for watching. Thanks so much for listening. I'll see you guys on Thursday. I'll talk more about things within our political and societal culture, as well as things within the Australian Open in particular for tennis. All right, guys, peace. See y'all.